0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week, Lawrence Fishburne reaches the event horizon with Osmosis Jones. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. When we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani and I am home.
1: And I am Adam Thomas and, uh, man, CGI Bill Murray it scares the shit out of me. Yes.
0: Yeah, so welcome everybody to the Double-Edged Double Bill in which uh, every week Adam and I Uh, talk about a good and a bad feature we pick at the end of uh, the previous episode related to a topic, and uh, this week we decided to do, as a topic, uh, you know, we got another John Wick movie coming out. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4, all, I guess, nearly three hours of it will be coming out this weekend. And uh, one of the big people in the, especially the recent sequels, has been uh, Mr. Lawrence Fishburne. And you know what? We decided to devote an episode to him because I think it's safe to say we both... uh, respects the work of Mr. Fishburne
1: yeah 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 Lawrence Fishburne's he's he's always been sort of a fun personality I guess uh if you want to put it that way I'm not necessarily a fan of all of his things he's done but I am a fan of him
0: yeah one of those like consummate working actor guys where whenever you see him it's rare that he's like terrible in a movie even if it's a terrible movie yeah, I agree with that, how we
1: talked about one of them, where he was actually still kind of fun in the Assault on pre 13 remake.
0: Right, that's true, or even when he had to pop up in Passengers, for example, <sighs> another more recent one that we covered, and he's trying, you know, he's he's trying to do so much with it, but uh, I'm curious, Adam, where was the first place you saw Lawrence Fishburne? Because I have a feeling it's the same for both of us. Um,
1: you know, honestly, it's probably Boys in the Hood for me. Okay. If I had to guess, I mean, you know, of course, I'm sure it was Pee-wee, but I- just, That's
0: exactly- 100% what it is, I think, for both of e- us was Pee-wee's Yeah, playhouse. I would have never,
1: ever placed him as Cowboy Curtis. First time I- yeah, so I guess technically Pee-wee, but the first time I took notice of him was probably Boys in the Hood.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like a Pee-wee's playhouse, at least the first time I knew of him. And I love the story of how apparently he went to audition for Pee-wee's playhouse, and he auditioned in front of Paul Rubens, and um, he was doing like- a very, like, serious cowboy, kind of like Clint Eastwood, man with no name style performance. And then there was a pause, and Rubens was like, lighter? It's like, oh, like comedy. It's like, right, yeah, let's do that. And then that's how you got Cowboy Curtis.
1: Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I don't take into consideration sometimes the age gap between us, to where, you know, I firmly grew up with Higher Learning, Boys in the Hood, Deep Cover, Lawrence Fishburne.
0: Well, Well, more of the Larry Fishburne era, as you were.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's crazy that, like, you didn't ha- I have... I always forget, like, yours would been the Matrix era, Lawrence Fishburne.
0: Yeah, around more like the Matrix era or so. And, I mean, of course, it's, like we mentioned, like, he also popped up in so many things in his early career. Like, he's in one of the early Death Wish sequels. He's in a Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He was a consummate yeah. working actor all the way back to there.
1: Oh, yeah, dude. He's in everything.
0: And what I really appreciate about him is that he's a guy who you can tell kind of, like, takes the craft seriously. But at the same time, he also gets kind of, like, giddy and joyous about it. The great interview I saw with him and Elvis Mitchell, where he was just asked about, like, oh, who are your favorite actors? And he just kept listing several credits for, like, oh, Peter Lorre in Maltese Falcon, and then also in, like, this other movie. My favorite being, he's talking about Claude Rains in Lawrence of Arabia and he does a pitch-perfect Claude Rains impression, and then he just, like, starts smacking his hands together. It's like,
1: that's what I'm fucking talking
0: about, right? <laughs> like, he genuinely loves it on even, like, that enthusiastic level, and it really shows in his performances.
1: Oh, yeah. No, you can tell he's he's a fan of the craft and a fan of sort of the skill of it, too, where he's... it's You know, I, I think most actors probably are, but some don't allow the fandom sort of encroach on their talent as well or sort of influence... Them as much, and I, I think he definitely does. I think he he definitely likes to show what he loves and talk about what he's really into at the same time.
0: He hasn't grown jaded about it, even as much as like he'll do things no, for paychecks. So. It never feels like there's a jadedness like certain actors get to when they're at this point. Like when well, you see him in the John Wick movies, like I rewatched those recently in two and three, he is so lively, and has such a great presence. Like give this man a gun, it's so great, it's so fun.
1: Are you trying to tell me you watched some Lawrence Fishman movies before this episode?
0: Sometimes I do that. That's true. Um, oh, so.
1: Man, I'm very curious as to exactly how many it was. <laughs> I'll tell you, it wasn't
0: many new ones. It was re-watching a lot of old ones, necessarily. But um, we're going to be talking about two specific movies we picked, like I said, at the end of our last episode. Though one of our choices was selected by, in part by our patrons at patreon.com slash dedbpod. More on that later. Uh, And that was my bad pick, which is Osmosis Jones, and then I'll be talking about your good pick of Event Horizon. So let's go ahead and jump into our bad pick then with Osmosis Jones. A deadly virus, a city at risk, two unlikely heroes, and it's all inside this man's body. This summer, we're going into a body under attack from a killer virus and contagious. You busted! Give it up. Oh! Oh! Why you hit so hard? It's the action
1: comedy that gets under your skin. You have entered the city of Frank into your stomach Ugh. and up your nose. Just the way I like it. Extra disgusted.
0: Please, you're going to make me vomit.
1: Oh no, not again.
0: Chris Rock. You're dealing with a white blood cell here. Molly Shannon. What a zit. I mean, what is it? What do you want?
1: Chris Elliott. smell. And Bill Murray. Uh... Hey, have some class, will you? <laughs> oh my God, I got the giggles. Osmosis Jones. Check it out. <laughs> Come on up
0: So Osmosis Jones uh, came out August 10th, 2001, um, and is credited to the Fairley brothers, uh, Bobby and Peter Fairley, though uh, we should say that this is a live-action animation hybrid movie, and while they were responsible for the live-action stuff, uh, Piet Kroon and Tom Siddo were the animation directors on this, and the the big sort of gimmick of this movie is that um, the titular Osmosis Jones is a white blood cell who lives inside of the Frank character, who is represented in live action, played by Bill Murray. And um, Bill Murray, like, eats this egg that literally is, like, drops inside a monkey cage while he's working at the zoo. And then that, um, it turns out that egg has a deadly virus on it. And whenever we go inside of uh, Bill Murray's body, we see it as an animated, like, 2D slash 3D for some of the character's Uh, sort of like police procedural movie where Osmosis, like I mentioned, is this white blood cell played by Chris Rock um, who is uh, part of like the police force that tries to get rid of viruses inside of this body. And um, this virus who is Thrax, played by uh, Lawrence Fishburne, um, starts uh, basically trying to melt down Bill Murray's body, tries to kill him within 48 hours. And while he's trying to do that, uh, Osmosis has to team up with this cold pill who's voiced by David Hyde Pierce, to uh, track him down and get him, no matter what sort of uh, issues are going on with like the political machinations of the mayor, who's voiced by William Shatner. And, you know, that sounds like an ambitious concept, right? That sounds like a very bizarre idea, and it could end up an interesting movie. And I remember I was attracted to this because I was uh, when I was younger, I saw this in the theater. I was a kid. And the marketing hook of just like, oh, it's animated live action. So kind of like in the decade plus sort of, uh, aftermath of like a Roger Rabbit. I was very interested to see how this worked. And I remember liking it as a kid, but I was very deadly afraid of like, I do not want to revisit this because I'm sure it will not hold up very well. And, um, Adam, I'm sure someone who has none of that sort of connection to this movie and saw this for the first time, I believe. Uh, how did you feel about Osmosis Jones
1: Do you just want my final thoughts now? Um, uh... <laughs> it, I it's it's fucking boring it, it's it's boring it's bland uh even like the, the sort of design of the inside of the body is really sort of just not even really excitingly detailed like it all kind of just looks the same maybe the character design is pretty awful for the most part it's just and oh he's so unhealthy because he eats Fried chicken, and he eats an egg or whatever. I mean, granted, the egg fell out of the chimp's mouth. Probably shouldn't eat it, but no. still. Oh, look how gross he is. Oh, oh, he's gonna vomit on her. Oh, he's gonna his pimple's gonna blow onto her lip. Like it's just a bunch of really dumb, gross-out humor mixed with just kind of boring animation.
0: I, I can at least say this much: that there's the whole issue where, like, when they were making this movie, the animation stuff went into production long before the live-action stuff. And you can really feel that because despite the sort of the connection of, like, really disgusting sort of puns and stuff when he's inside the body and you hear a lot of, like, puns about, like, oh, the gastrointestinal, like, tract is kind of like an airport and shit like that, that could be clever, I guess, if they just didn't do the one bit over and over again with, like, any of these puns. But, like, even that stuff at least feels like it's trying to be more creative than, like, all the live-action stuff is incredibly disgusting and like the fairly brothers were known at this time for doing like gross out humor but literally every single scene when it's live action is either trying to do the most disgusting gross out comedy or occasionally trying to wring some kind of emotion out of it with like bill murray and his daughter who is like trying to get him to be healthy and it all rings so hollow and so it makes all the stuff when in the animated world even less interesting because it's like why do i give a shit if Frank lives because Frank just seems like an asshole who cares about nothing except eating gross food.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. And it's like, they set up something, you know, where obviously he's a widower and, you know, her mom died and blah, and the little girl has resentment towards him for that and everything. You don't care though. They don't do anything with it. They don't do it. Like, that's the thing, even with the, as bland and sort of boring as I kind of find the whole thing, If they would have just kicked up a notch in either area, either the live action or the animation, but I feel like especially the live action part, uh, you'd care. But no, you just, hey, you get Kid Rock.
0: We'll talk about the Kid Rock thing. There's a lot to the weird Kid Rock thing in this movie. Um, This very early 2000s movie. That's another thing. This movie feels supremely, like pre-911, 2001 specifically, <laughs> where it could have really only had, like, the soundtrack, the celebrity cameos, the pop culture references, all very specifically of that time. The live-action stuff especially is interesting when you consider, like, the Farrelly Brothers, for, like, whatever you might think of their movies, I think at their best, their sort of gross-out comedies did have some kind of heart to them. It feels like because they're only responsible for, like, I don't know about 40% of the movie with all the like live action stuff. They have to like really truncate some kind of like emotional arc or connection with any of these things or even like any of the actual gross out gags. They feel like really labored to where like, Oh, we're about to have a vomit scene and we have to build up just this vomit scene. We don't actually have anything about the character, which like, like I said, say what you will about the other movies, but like at least before say Jeff Daniels has explosive diarrhea and dumb and dumber, like I know who that character is. So that makes it like a bit funnier as opposed to like frank is a nothing of a character except just like a fat slob so he just like vomits everywhere it's like it's even more truncated than those like very slim premises of those other movies that those guys did work
1: yeah no i completely agree like most of kingpin is gross out humor well at least there's a lot of it right. just with yeah but yet it's funny and you kind of want like Woody Harrelson to succeed. And even when you do get to the Bill Murray of it all, and he's such a scumbag and then there's, there's stakes, you know, Oh my God, he's such a good bowler. But uh, this is just, he farts and uh, he throws up and he's got a, a zip that they show pulsating. And, uh, oh, his brother's Chris Elliott. He's gross too. Oh yeah. This is good. Right. Like you said, it's about forty percent, maybe forty percent of the movie, if not a little less. And the whole idea, like you said, they you want Osmosis Jones and whatever the hell the pill name is—I forget his name Drix or whatever. Drix. You yes. want them, yeah. You want them to save where they live and save their environment, and you know you want the, everything to be successful. But then, like you said, if you take a second, realize, oh, it's Bill Murray's body. What gives a fuck. He's just a he's a slob, terrible father.
0: Who goes to restaurants and insists that he's barefoot, so he has, like, his ingrown toenail on the table.
1: I know, it's so gross. Like, what is... It's just gross to be gross. And I've never found that funny. Like you said, the Fairleigh Brothers have always done that in most of their movies, um, to varying levels, degrees of success. I'd say probably the most successful bit is the fucking cum in the hair in *Some About Mary. It's probably the most famous bit they've ever done. And when you first see it, it's funny. Does it hold up? No. But this, there's nothing in this that even comes close to that level of like, oh my God, that is gross. Look how funny. It's just gross and stupid and really kind of just done for no reason.
0: Yeah. And all that live action stuff obviously makes the like I mentioned, the motivations of the animated characters now work as well. But even then, like, I'm not necessarily as harsh necessarily with the design of all the characters in uh, the sort of inside of Frank's body. I like the basic look of sort of like what Osmosis and all the other sort of cells are. There's like a translucentness to them. And even that, like, Osmosis can like transform himself. That's probably like the best visual gag of the movie is that he can do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't mind the various character designs. I just think the world they're living in is bland and boring. Like, it's either shades of green or shades of pink. And that's right. it. Right.
0: And it's also, like, very much like one dimensional, like, puns about where they yeah. are. And just yeah. like, oh, white blood cell equals police force. And they don't do, like, a lot to really expand on that or make it at all clever. Like, there's a bit where there's a high speed chase and there's a billboard that says, Visit the land down under. And it's a big picture of Frank's butt with a kangaroo next to it.
1: <laughs> right.
0: I mean, for young Thomas found that hysterical. Oh, well, uh, sure, of course obviously yes but that's the thing is it's also so weird for this movie where it's like it is intentionally like a kid's movie but there's a lot more like upsetting stuff that's all abound like a lot of these puns that like i don't even think an adult would scoff at and a kid won't get and then other like weird things like i will say i think the easily the best part of this movie it's not just because he's our subject but i think thrax has the best design and I think is a genuinely, like, well-animated villain, and I think Fishburne's vocal performance is pretty good, but he's also, like, extremely, like, upsetting to the point where, like, a young kid would be very disturbed by, say, the first scene where he kills, like, the cleanup crew, and they, like, fucking explode, basically. (laughs) It's so weird, just like, I don't know who this is really for.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I mean, I have to agree with you. He's he's probably the most fully realized character that, yeah, he's scary. He, He reminds me, like, to me... A ver- I could see what you're saying. Like a kid would find him scary. To me, it's like I remember when I saw like All Dogs Go to Heaven, and there's the giant like Satan dog at the end. Yes, and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like I could see that being sort of this character. Um, yeah, he's 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 having a good time. His vocal performance is pretty fun. I like the the finger that infects everything and rips everything apart. Like you said, melts the other characters and stuff I yeah he's pretty great I wish that anybody else was even half as memorable
0: yeah because the main sort of crux of the animated stuff is Osmosis who is it's the first Chris Rock vocal performance And if you've seen one of those like in a Madagascar movie or anything you've seen all of them (laughs) Yep. It's it's, it it's much the origin of like the zebra from the Madagascar movies, where he's just like, I'm Chris Rock talking in the exact Chris Rock dialect to the degree that there's a point where like he's even does like an elaborate Chris Rock style stand-up bit, like he does in any one of the movies that he's in, about like, oh, I used to live um in Crack Central. I mean literally the crack of the butt, and then he does several jokes about living in the crack. And like Drix is like, oh, I'm gonna vomit, and then you got David Hyde Pierce just doing like Niles, but as like an efficient cold pill. It's like and they, yep. they don't have any like actual dynamic that's interesting.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, it is a hundred percent a Chris Rock stand-up bit. And I mean, can I ask how lazy? I mean, hey, Brandy. I mean, yes, right. What is that <laughs> about? Why? like i i'm very curious if that was a fuck up and they were just like oh, i'll leave it
0: right for for context everybody uh, one of the characters in here the female love interest is played by brandy um and uh she does like the vocal performance her name's is leah and there's a point when like before osmos is about to be fired where like he walks into the chief's office and you can hear off camera osmos is saying uh brandy i mean leah what are you doing here and I don't know if it's a fuck-up or it's Chris Rock who was, like, fucking with everybody. It's like, this is a joke, right? And then just kept that in. It makes it completely breaks the weird reality of the
1: movie. <laughs> 100%. It makes no sense at all. I will say, and to get to it, just because, again, anything kind of pop culture we're going to throw in this at the time of the year this came out. Seeing a germ sort of version of Kid Rock, Joe C, and Uncle Cracker. It's fucking ridiculous.
0: But not like a fun ridiculous. It's just more... No, it's
1: not good. (laughs) No, it's not a good ridiculous. It's really just sort of like... Oh, God.
0: Well, actually, I'm sorry. You mispronounced his name. It's Kidney Rock. Because this is different.
1: Sorry. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: And they're performing at a nightclub that's in the zit. Yeah. So that's really clever. It's a pop-up nightclub. Right, because they say it's like a new spot that just opened up in the forehead. It's the zit. It's really clever. And... I'm sorry to keep talking about Kid Rock, because I would not want to no, that's the, in normal yeah, circumstance. No, that's the, but yeah. I just want to point out, they sing a song called Cool Daddy Cool, like when they go into that club in the zit, and it's Josie and him performing the song. And they cut off at a certain point, and then if you listen to like the actual whole song, there's a bit they cut out, and I'm going to quote this. These are the lyrics verbatim. Uh, it says, Young ladies, young ladies, I like them under age, see. Some say that's statutory but I say it's mandatory. That song is on the soundtrack for this movie that was directly marketed toward children.
1: They probably had a tie-in with Subway restaurants, too.
0: Or, or you know, like McDonald's kids' meals, I'm sure.
1: Yep. <laughs> Fucking, fuck Kid Rock. Yep. Oh, fuck Even before he turned out fuck to Kid
0: be Rock. the massive piece of shit that he is now, he was a piece of shit long ago. Always, oh, often, he's always been
1: awful. <laughs> yep. He's awful. He's never been good. I don't care how much you ball with the ball. Hey, well, well hold on, though. I will give credit only for when Ball to Ball came out, it was kind of like a banger for, like, a couple months. And then I heard, you hear it in everything, and I'm like, all right, enough of this. And then every song that came out afterwards, is just, oh, it's ball with a ball again. Oh, it's right. ball. Wait, why is he country music now? Who is this dirtbag? Yeah, he's a fucking piece.
0: Uh, he's close personal friends with one of our former presidents, sir. How dare you? I
1: yeah. Oh yeah, he's also been seen by several members of my family and friends at random parties back in the day, for for, because he's around from where I live, and he's just passed out drunk on couches and shit. Shocking! Big shocker. God, fuck Kid Rock. Fuck it. We got to save it though for our Kid Rock episode.
0: Oh boy, I can't wait to talk about Joe Dirt and what else was he in?
1: I guess we got to talk about Torque again. Oh right.
0: Like we said, this movie's, like, so supremely dated in 2001 to the degree that you also have a bunch of other pop culture references. Like, they do a Matrix, like, uh, bullet time bit with Lawrence Fishburne versus Chris Rock's character. Yep. Right? Isn't that funny? Didn't you laugh at that?
1: So funny. Even though with the pop culture references, it still feels, like, if you were to tell me this came out after the Matrix, I'd be like, no, no way. It feels dated, like, instantly. I guess that's one of the main problems, too, with – well, because The Matrix seems sort of timeless in a weird way. But I guess that's sort of the problem with doing all these pop culture references and all this bullshit in movies. You instantly date your movie. Like, instantly. There's no way – like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? You throw on Who Framed Roger Rabbit right now. And, yeah, there's a couple old-school references, but it's done so fucking well. And the movie's also set in that time period. Where this, it's like – this is just it's, – it's early 2000s junk. It'll never be nothing but early 2000s junk. If I were to show this to my kid, like, even, I'm not going to, but say in a couple years I show this to her, she's not going to know what any of these references are. I mean, it's good, but she would have no idea what the hell's going on. No clue. No, probably not.
0: No. Unless you maybe showed her the Matrix at some point in between. She's like, oh, I kind of, that's a Matrix thing, right? And like, that may be the
1: only one. Maybe. But then Kid Rock, I'm gonna be like, oh, I don't, you, never mind.
0: <laughs> never mind about that one. <laughs> I don't know Kid Rock, I know Kidney Rock, famous germ star.
1: Yeah, yeah. There there's this real dirtbag who came out and like impersonated him in real life. Just pay attention to Kidney Rock. <laughs> but don't listen to the whole fucking song.
0: No, don't listen to the whole song. Do not buy that <laughs> do not buy that soundtrack. Oh god. Um But but yeah, I think the a big thing is that like this is also like this is the same summer as Shrek. And that's a movie that also has plenty of, like, very dated pop culture references in there. But weirdly, that one is at least, like, continued on, I think, mainly because of, like, the weird meme-ish quality, I guess, of Shrek as yeah, a doubt, figure. Yeah, don't a out Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And at the very least, and even then, like, I remember, like, watching this at the time and at least liking the animated parts, but at the same time thinking, like, well, this isn't going to be, like, constantly rewatched like I am with Shrek.
1: Like, I had that VHS at this point. How, keep how old that. were you when you saw this? I would have been nine oh yeah that's right up yeah that makes sense right yeah you're probably saying I'm not gonna watch this as much as the Ingmar Bergman seven seal Unless <laughs> <And> <laughs> put out on Criterion, daddy <laughs> then he's like, shut up Thomas
0: <laughs> <laughs> even at that point before all the cool kids were into criterion
1: yeah, yeah uh, you were totally into it 100%, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> can I get their Wazer discs they're half off do you think Kid Rock studied the Stanislavski method.
0: <laughs> very sure he's a very committed actor. Have you seen Joe yeah. Dirt? I did around yeah. this time. Of course he yeah.
1: Of course. Where <laughs> he plays himself? Yeah.
0: <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, like that's the thing, is like this was definitely a piece of very disposable entertainment. And it's it's weird, especially considering like this is, I believe, one of the last examples of like Warner Brothers animation. Movies Because this was around the time, like, post-Iron Giant, an amazing movie that did not do very well and helped, like, nearly destroy that studio. Post sort of, like, the Disney renaissance, every studio won an animation arm. It's like, look, we gotta compete with Disney, we gotta do something with it. And, like, the Warner Brothers stuff, it's a bummer because at least it feels like they were trying to do, like, more genre-focused stuff. And then, like, those bombs in a row really killed it.
1: Well, they still do stuff like they did the new Mortal Kombat animated movies. They've done some of the DC stuff, like
0: right. But those are all like direct to video, as opposed to yeah, like, directly true. competing with like Disney in theaters. It's like that really that didn't happen. happen again until they started doing like the Lego movies. Really, one of them. Watching well, two of them, the Lego Batman and Lego movie. Yeah, didn't
1: but you? I mean, as far as like being huge successes, Lego Batman did all right. Lego Movie Two and Ninjago, on the other hand, no, they did not do very well. Yes, no. Um, <laughs>
0: And it's a bummer because like, even some of those other recent ones like Storks I thought was fun like yeah, some of me those too. that they did were like were pretty solid but yeah it's a shame that like this is around the time where it feels like oh we're not gonna bother with like competing with Disney unless animation becomes sort of like singular where it's like it's a Disney or it's like a DreamWorks and even then DreamWorks has right. started fading in recent years so yeah the, um, we can blame Osmosis Jones for killing diversity in animation
1: <laughs> fuck you Osmosis Jones I blame Kid Rock.
0: I mean, anything he touches turns to trash.
1: Pure shit. (laughs) Yeah. Pure shit. Cigarette butts and couch farts.
0: (laughs) Was there anything in Osmosis Jones that made you laugh at all at him?
1: Nope, not once. I cannot be 100% honest. I did not laugh once. There was a lot of groans. I definitely did a lot of, oh, God. But, yeah, no, I can honestly, I don't, no, I didn't laugh at all.
0: Yeah. I'll say that, like, I think the only bits of laughter I really got were from um, the sort of the weird subplot they have here with, like, William Shatner plays the mayor of Frank's body. And he's in a, an election sort of cycle with uh, this other germ who's played by Ron Howard. Um, and I kind of laughed at his campaign ad, particularly where there's a point where the like little, little kid boy. comes up. Yeah, it's just like, what's the smell? That Jimmy, and he turns his head around all the way, <laughs> is the future. <laughs> It's the smell yeah. What of the was teacher.
1: he like Tom Kalanick or something like that? Right. Tom Kalanick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That was kind of funny. And then also I, there is actually a bit with uh we didn't mention her much, but a uh, Molly Shannon appears in the live action segments as the, as a uh, Bill Murray's daughter's teacher. And there's a bit where after there's a whole thing where he throws up on her and it becomes like local news. It gets him fired and gets her embarrassed. And like, he's trying to go on this hike with his daughter, with the school And he's trying to convince Molly Shannon to get rid of their restraining order because he vomited all over her. And she's just like, I can't believe, like, do you know how embarrassing that was for me and my entire family? My sons, Ralph and Chuck, had to deal with so much (laughs) trouble." I thought Molly Shannon sold like that line. I thought it was pretty funny.
1: Yeah. I was tuned out a little bit.
0: (laughs) I mean, to be fair, it was like, I was looking for an oasis of jokes at that point that's like near the end of the movie At that point, oh yeah
1: no you're looking for the proverbial haha needle yes like, for sure yeah you're looking for anything i completely understand uh i was too in a way i just definitely couldn't find anything i just
0: you gave him on the search by that point
1: <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much i well i remember this being you know sort of a flop and a joke and everything and i it's, i never i was a little bit after my time, when I would have wanted to see something like this? Like I, I, always loved animation, but this just didn't look interesting to me at the time. So you know, going back to it this morning, I didn't expect really anything out of it. Like, yeah, maybe it'll be surprised, and I just it never took off for me. Not once did it really pick my interest. Like I, Lawrence Fishburne was cool when he came on screen. I will say the movie got a little bit better when he was sort of in it, but other than that, I just. Like you said, you could close your eyes and listen to Chris Rock's vocal performance and you could be watching Madagascar or and performing on a late night show where he can't swear. It, it just didn't work.
0: Right, and saying things like, what the Frank?
1: Uh,
0: is, there's uh, there's other like really bad puns in here that I'm not going to mention because <laughs> no. they're just like exhausting. Yeah, but those sound like pretty good final thoughts, Adam, I think. You, you're you pretty exhausted. <laughs> I'll talk about Osmosis Jones. 10 out of 10, great movie. Um 10 out of 10, great yeah, yeah, I mean, for me, this definitely is, like I said, I had some, at least, like, attachment to this when I was a kid. It's like, oh, that was kind of weird and interesting. Um, I remember there was a cartoon show that I watched a couple episodes of when I was a kid that was like a spin-off of this directly um, and some other things like that. But yeah, going back to it, um, it feels supremely of its time in, like, all the worst ways. I think there's a couple bits of animation I think kind of work. I even, I will say, I kind of like, this is one of the examples like Iron Giant or even some of the other like Disney movies around this time where they have, it's mostly 2D, but they have a couple of CG things like Drix even is like kind of a CG like with heavy outlines to kind of fit the style. I like that style of animation. I kind of like that meld of the two. Um, But this is still at the same time the lesser version of it because it feels just like a little, a lot more like low rent. Even when those two characters are together, there's no, like, authentic chemistry. I think maybe because of that animation style is so, like, different from, like, the 2D stuff. And it doesn't really work nearly as well. Um, And, yeah, like, all the live action stuff really deflates any of the kind of, like, fascination you could get out of, like, oh, it's, like, that, that great Roger Rabbit meld. Like, so many movies tried to chase that in the era, like I said, like, the decade after Roger Rabbit came out. And this was, like, at the tail end of that. And it feels so much just like, oh, yeah, we're going to kind of maybe capture that magic, but through gross-out jokes and really bad puns and celebrity voice actors that aren't really that interested for the most part, except for Fishburne. Like I mentioned, any scene with Fishburne is immediately much more interestingly animated and enjoyable than anything else here, so kudos to Fishburne for that. But let's talk about our good movie now of Event Horizon.
1: After seven years in deep space 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared i want them all accounted for opening outer door it came back abandoned any crew negative this place is a tomb but it didn't come back alone (gasps) captain miller i've got some problems here Has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been and what it's brought back with it? Vacate, I want off this ship. You can't leave. She won't let you.
0: So, Event Horizon came out uh, August 15th, 1997, from director Paul W.S. Anderson, who we haven't really talked about on the show that much. I believe the only one of his movies we've covered is Alien vs. Predator. Uh, and I'm good with that. Well, I mean, he has Paul and Anderson in his name. I mean, that inherently means he has a lot of talent.
1: That's true. He did... No, he's not good.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't mind talking about at least some of the Resident Evil movies I find to be a bit more interesting. Like, I oh, yeah, say, no,
1: I, I would do that for, like, a bad choice and stuff. I could see that, for sure, but... I don't know,
0: I, even, I would say I kind of like... The one of his I really like is the I believe it's the fifth one. Mila Jovovich is, like, her mind's been erased, and she's, like, living in, like, a weird, like, <laughs> like suburbia, and she, like, breaks out of it. I like that one. I think Were that they, like,
1: underwater fun. and stuff like that?
0: I believe, yeah, that, that also is the underwater one. I mean, the best That's... one of those is the one he didn't direct, the um the third one in Vegas, with, like,
1: all the different yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, Russell Yeah, Russell right. right. Monkley.
0: Yeah. That one's the best one. But anyway, that's a discussion for a different day because we're talking about Event Horizon, which many would say is his best film. Um Adam, given this is your good pick, would you say that's the case
1: with Event Horizon? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah it's definitely his best film. Don't get me wrong. We talked about it. I I like the movie, uh but it's a better version of Hellraiser Bloodlines. This is basically Hellraiser in space.
0: Yeah, I would say I do like this movie. I would agree it's his best movie. Um But you still see a lot of sort of his uh, stylistic flourishes that I'm not a fan of. I think particularly as we get to, like, the ending of the movie, there's a lot of those. Um, And I I feel like this is definitely one where if you're unaware of Event Horizon, like, basically, as Adam said, it is sort of like a Hellraiser in space. It follows this crew who was sent to try and rescue the Event Horizon, the titular spaceship, which has been lost for about a decade since this ship, like, went missing entirely and its entire crew. And then it suddenly shows up back up on the beacon. So uh, this crew, who was led by Lawrence Fishburne, um, brings along this specialist who's played by Sam Neill. Um, and yeah, they he go... designed it. He designed it. Right, he designed ship. it. Yes, he designed the ship and everything, and his wife was lost on the ship and stuff like that. They board it, and instantaneously, uh, things start getting weird and horror-driven evidence that they find uh indicates that, like oh some they opened up basically a portal into a hell dimension through this like big black hole that powers the ship in the center i will say that i think this movie's one where i'd heard about it for so long and i watched it maybe about like a decade ago for the first time this movie has a lot of interesting ideas and it's it has so much potential and i think the first two thirds especially are like really creepy and atmospheric and play on a lot of that stuff very well the last third I think goes bonkers in ways that I do enjoy, but also in plenty of ways that feel, Oh, this was hastily rushed together. And as it turned out, yes, because they had to edit the fuck out of this movie. We'll talk about that in a second, but you can kind of feel it during that last third. I would argue.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I've been a fan of this movie since I saw it. and I probably saw it right around when it came out. I don't, I don't think I saw it at the theater, but probably right after on home rental release. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember really, really loving the first two thirds. It was so creepy, and the hallucinations, and the set design. The set design is great in this movie. The way everything looks is really cool. And it's the sort of what what happens to Jason Isaacs and all that when they like you're like fuck, what the. F-? And then the last third becomes like an action movie, basically. And uh, there's also a lot with I don't know his name, but he's like one of the crew members. The the only other black guy in the crew, where he becomes comedic relief.
0: Uh, you're talking about uh, Richard T. Jones as Cooper.
1: That's him. Richard T. Jones. Yes, yes, yes. <sighs> like, why does Sam Neal evolve, like, go through evolutions in this? Like, he's regular Sam Neal, and then he's ripped out eyes, but you can still see Sam Neil. And then he's basically pinhead without the pins.
0: His sort of, like, transformation in his mind, we're like, we initially introduced to him as he, like, has a bad dream about his wife. Her eyes are cut out, and then he, like, wakes up like, oh, Oh my god. And he has to literally like go over to the photo and it's like, I miss you. We couldn't tell from the shrine that he w- missed his life, right. maybe at <laughs> all. But yeah, like that weird thing where like he already has those dreams, but then those dreams keep like occurring when he's on the ship and that's what makes him possessed. It's weird. I'm not sure exactly how like that transformation, like where that clicks necessarily, or if he was always crazy. It, it feels like they want to try and imply that maybe he was like on the ship originally. And that maybe got lost in like a draft or the edit.
1: Maybe, or it influenced him to build the ship to begin with, right? Like, so he has a, some kind of mental connection to the ship, something like that. Yeah, they don't really go far with it, but man, eh, whatever. It doesn't eh, okay. I mean, but at
0: the same time, like Sam Neil is having a lot of fun, even like oh, during he's that last third where it goes crazy. He like really embraces the crazy him, particularly when he has no eyes. And he's, like, sitting in that ship, and then he, like, rises up. He's so fun.
1: <laughs> I think most people in this movie are, are really doing their best. You know, the, not necessarily, like, their best work they've ever done, but they're really doing what they can with it. Uh, I think Fisherman's great. I love Sean Pertley. Uh, Jason Isaac's really fun. Uh, even though Jason Isaac, like, why cover his accent? I don't understand, but whatever. Because um, he's not good at it. But
0: Especially when you have Julie Richardson doing her normal, like, British accent. She's like, just have a bunch of British people on this ship.
1: Sean Pertley's is yes. he, he British or Scottish whatever he is like just let him let him do his accent I still think everyone's pretty fun in it it's the best What's his name plays Justin's ever been in anything.
0: a Jack Noseworthy
1: yeah yeah.
0: a guy who I'm convinced was a Chris Kattan like character who wasn't actually a person
1: right he's he's Mango in real life
0: right like he's a weird Tony Clifton character for fucking Chris, <laughs> Chris Kattan. Kattan it's like yeah, oh, yeah, this is yeah. a completely
1: separate person yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jack Noseworthy of MTV, Dead Like Me fame. I think that was his big thing, or something like right. that. Dead at seventeen, some some bullshit. You know, for the flaws that are, are are in this, I think, like I said, the set design's great, and it is a pretty great ensemble. Like Fishburne is fun in this. I think he's a good sort of opposing force to Sam Neill.
0: Right, he's sort of the he's believable as sort of the captain of this vessel, who's trained yeah, like actually No nonsense,
1: no bullshit, Captain. We're getting the job, right, Daddy. we're going
0: And even when he wants to be vulnerable later on, when he talks about the one guy that he couldn't save, who got, like, completely engulfed in fire, he really sells the emotion of that, which is really crucial, because when we get to, like, see the horrible, like, ghost vision of that guy, who's just like, you let me burn! I'm like, okay.
1: Oh, it's so stupid. This is so bad. (laughs) It's so dumb. I want to see more of that blood orgy fuck scene. What is going on in there? Like, I know there's more that was filmed and all that stuff, but... That's the most disturbing part of the movie for me.
0: Yeah, that, that was the thing. This movie was originally about two hours, ten minutes long. And uh, they tested it with, like, this longer cut that had a lot more of the gore stuff in, like, the orgy scene and throughout. There was a lot more, like, upsetting sort of images there. And uh, it did not test very well. So Anderson was forced to cut this down to 96 minutes. Ugh. And apparently a lot of that footage was lost because they were storing the negatives like in a salt mine. Is what they said, like in uh, like Romania or something, like day, and it wasn't like very day well kept. Of the dead. Like, or I know day of the Dead? Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> That's where day Dead, you can find like a, look, it's the Lost Event Horizon footage. Um but apparently so they can't restore that, so there will never be like a director's cut of this movie necessarily, because that negative is destroyed. Actually, honestly, my favorite moment of this movie is sort of like speaking of cutting off like that uh, gore scene, is the bit where Fishburn like is watching along with everybody else after they decoded everything and they see the flashes of that orgy that happened with the previous crew. And then the timing of him turning it off beat we're leaving is like the comedic high point of the movie for me. <laughs> we're just like, we're <laughs> gone. We're not staying on this place a fucking second longer. Cause you're just with him. in the way of like that horror movie cliche of like get out of the house, get out of the spaceship. In this case, Fishburne's just like, fuck it. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, right. It's funny as hell, but at the same time, like, fuck yeah, dude, get the fuck on. Like, nah. If I saw a video like that, and they're screaming Latin, and ripping each other guts out through the mouth, and whatever the hell else is going on, nah, I'm gone, dude. I'm leaving. There's, we're done. We're done here.
0: I mean, even when you walk onto the ship, which the big thing with the design here is, like, we have that initial ship that's very much sort of like a typical uh ship you'd see in, like, Alien. Where it's like very dirty and dingy, and they go into the event horizon, and it's literally designed after like the Notre Dame Cathedral, so it looks like ethereal and massive, and like the the contours everywhere.
1: Yeah, almost like a crucifix, where there's like a sort of stand-in stained glass with sort of the green glass and all that stuff. Like it's yeah, that really... big
0: hallway feels very much like sort of a big arch of a church and stuff like that. It does look immaculate, but also the moment I went onto that ship, I would be like. This place looks like a spooky place. I don't yeah, want to be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I don't like this. Yeah, this is the core. Oh, good lord, we're getting the fuck out of here. This giant room with a sphere and blinking lights, and you gotta go down like one of those carnival tunnels to get to it. Why would you design it like this? Let's get the fuck out of here.
0: Well, ask Sam Neil if he hasn't torn out his eyes yet.
1: Got too many brandies and elephant ears. <laughs> I was low.
0: So I'm okay. curious, Adam, like in the subgenre of space horror, which we haven't talked about like that much, like we've talked about Hellraiser 4 and we've talked about some of the alien movies and stuff like that. Yeah. But what What do you think is sort of the key to making like a space horror movie like this work?
1: For me, like the only really successful space horror with aliens is the alien sort of franchise. Uh, I, I do, can't think of many other ones where am like, oh, that was really good and effective where it actually takes place in space. I'm not talking about an alien coming to Earth, but when that right. takes a place in space, I think the best way to do them is have it be something otherworldly or undiscovered, like the hell dimension or even can you get into Lovecraftian type things or things like that. I think that's when it really works because it is in a completely uncharted, undiscovered space. So to add in a completely... New elements, unknown, unheard of elements of fear. I think is what makes it work the best.
0: So very Lovecraftian, as it
1: were. Lovecraftian, or even psychological, to me, work better than just a sort of entity of a creature.
0: No, I, I get that. I think that's that is a big thing with like, because whenever you see like sort of like space horror, like there were plenty of those, especially post Alien. Plenty of About like so many,
1: like creature leviathan. Well, leviathan was underwater, but still.
0: Well, and there even like there were there were other ones that were even more like sci-fi driven that had like, Saturn 3, ones like that, where it's, like, it's a bit more low-budget, and they're kind of dealing with it. It feels less like Alien, and more like an older sci-fi movie from, like, the 50s or 60s, just then in, like, right. 1982 or whatever. But I think that's the thing, is that I agree with you, that there kind of has to be that mixture of, like, going out into space, the unknown, the final frontier, but also, like, what you discover in the final frontier is upsetting and horrible and you can't even like fathom what's going on here. And I think the, this movie is one of the, I agree the better ones to like kind of get close to that territory. Um, But then again, I think you have to have that balance. I think of like that sci-fi element and that horror element. And I think the biggest trouble with like the ending is it goes way more into the horror and also even the action element that wasn't really there. And like that completely like depletes, I think that sort of like balance we had earlier on.
1: I think, yeah, I see it's not even me them going too far into the horror element. Like, if they would have just said, fuck it, now it's a straight up crazy horror movie, like, okay, I mean, it still would have maybe been totally jarring, but I think them adding in the third element now of action, where like you said, it really wasn't an action movie, it was a sci-fi horror movie and then for them to go, well, now it's an action movie, it, it just kind of, you feel like you're almost like following a new group of characters
0: It would kind of be like if the ending of Alien suddenly became like the ending of Aliens, and it's like, right. wait we're, exactly. we're getting rid of like the sci-fi stuff, what are we
1: doing? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right, and and this one kind of I think that's this one's biggest flaw to where all of a sudden, you know, they're shooting guns and having fist fights and you know, throwing bombs, and guy, there's a dude on fire. You not me bird, which is so dumb.
0: And also throwing punches with, yeah. like, the worst stock punch sound
1: effects ever. Oh, it's bad. Oh, yeah. Or especially
0: when, like, Fishburn picks up that one, like, tube thing and starts, like, yeah. get off of my ship. And it like, literally sounds like he's hitting him with, like, a plastic bat. It's just, like, bonk, bonk,
1: bonk. Yeah. You don't expect it to pick it up and it goes... Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really bad footage. well, that's Like you said, that's how you could tell it was rushed. Where they had to edit it down and change it and cut new things in to make it more exciting at the end. And that way it gives people a sense of, oh, hell yeah. And then this movie also, I hate the fake scare out at the end.
0: Yeah. With Julie
1: Richardson and the guy with the Sam Neil under the space helmet bullshit. I really, really hate that.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the best sort of mix of, like, the sci-fi and the horror is the whole scene that snares around Jack Noseworthy, where he's been possessed yes. and he puts himself in the airlock. I think it's, like, such a perfectly timed scene and also has, like, that great mix of, like, there's the sci-fi tension, but also the horror element of, like, especially when he starts opening up the airlock and then he wakes up out of his trance. He's just like, wait, yes. what am I doing here? What's happening? What's going on? That is incredibly effective.
1: Oh, yeah, dude. And then he goes out to space, his eyes explode. That's awful. That's pretty terrible. And Fishburne
0: is, like, rushing up in, like, space to, like, try and save him.
1: Yeah, I I think that's probably the most effective bit. I think so. That, and I think, uh, one of my favorite sort of bits with the hallucination is uh, where she keeps seeing her daughter. Or her son. Right. Yeah, she starts
0: seeing her son, right? And he's, like, his his deformed legs and, and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, she's chasing him around, and then she falls down that fucking pit. That one's pretty good, too. I, I like the hallucination stuff. I like the stuff in the tunnel where they're in the like the neon green vent, and he's trying to fix something, and then the wife's down there. Like, There's a lot of really effective, sort of close-quarters, psychological horror in this. Like, it, They really do a good job, but like you said, I, I think it is the truth, and I think that might be maybe why this movie... Didn't find a huge audience like it's got an audience people really do like this there's movie, a cult
0: sort of audience for this yeah movie.
1: it's not as big as it could have been and i think a lot of it has to do with maybe older genre fans maybe that are our age now and everything seeing it for the first time back then and being like why did this turn into an action movie at the end I think this movie really stuck around with the younger audience, teenagers and stuff, and maybe early 20s, like, people like how I would have been. And uh, I think those are the ones who really sort of champion it to this day. It's
0: definitely, like, an extremely flawed movie, but you want to, like, hang on to, like, the stuff that really works about it. Like, that's the thing is, like, I think it works as much because, like, those first two-thirds of, like, the atmospheric built-up feel way less like a modern Paul W.S. Anderson movie and that last third feels like it's a bit more in that range, but because of, like, that goodwill that was built up before, and then also, I agree, the consistency of all the actors is really, like, what I think holds this together by, like, glue with scotch tape, quite frankly, as, like, the ending starts happening. <laughs> like, even as much as he has to do, like, some dumb shit by the end of that movie, Fishburne is also very committed to, like, I guess I gotta sell this, even though I don't know how we got here. <laughs> but sure, I guess I'll blow up the ship and say, like, yes, I did hear you. <laughs> like so. yeah
1: right yeah i know yeah <laughs> yeah no he's fully on board like that's the thing yeah he's fully on board 100 of the way you know i guess that's kind of alludes to what we were talking about before we even got to our first movie like that's one thing you can rely on him for like if he's committed he's fully committed because you know there are certain movies and certain performances you know is i can't think of it, like bobby z and shit like that where it's like he doesn't want to be there you could tell. Maybe he signed on for a different movie and it changed while he was doing it. It's just not as good as he can be. Maybe never feels like he's phoning it in, but you can tell he's not fully committed. In this, he's committed. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm going to make this work as best as the, I can.
0: During that Elvis Mitchell interview I mentioned earlier, there was a bit where he talks about like what he sort of feels like. It's like, when I really get into a role, I call it getting into the swing of something. I call it, like, because he alludes to, like, whenever, like, a composer, like, composes a piece of music, and he's, like, conducting, and then at a certain point, he'll stop conducting and just starts dancing. That's what he wants out of every single performance he does. And Elvis Mitchell asks him about, like, so what about if, like, someone else isn't in the swing of things? Like, you, you want, like, an actor who's kind of in the swing with you. What if they aren't? And he's just like, what can you do? I just try and keep swinging. And I think that's, like, key to his, like, performances, is <laughs> he tries, even if other people aren't trying around him, it's just like, well, I'll swing without you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to do it. Uh, although uh, Lydia Tarr doesn't dance during her, which she's orchestrated. she well, then She's not really committed horrible. to the craft anymore. She's more she committed to
0: doing horrible things. On hor- the horrible,
1: horrible things. She's a monster. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I think I could agree with that. I, Fishburne, maybe he is sometimes where it's just the material around him doesn't work. But yeah, he's pretty much always consistent. He's pretty he's a pretty fucking cool dude, man. That's what you know what that's what it is. That's what it is about Lawrence Fishman. He seems like a cool fucking
0: dude. I mean that's what even sold him like as Morpheus. Is that as much as he was also like a wise dude who was teaching you all these things, he also seems just like really fucking cool while he was doing it. Yeah. Like...
1: Well we're like, dude, the the dad in Boys in the Hood, you're like, he's fucking cool, man. That's how smart he is and shit. Like he's fucking cool. He's his young, cool dad. Yeah, get him you better stop Cuba Gooden from really bad shadow boxing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Adam, it seems like we're kind of diverging away from Event Horizon. Do you have any yeah. final thoughts on Event Horizon?
1: Oh, like I said, it's it's basically Hellraiser in space, but in a good way. Better than Bloodlines, even though I do like Bloodlines, but I, I just think it's a really fun sci-fi horror movie. Uh, it's just too bad that it becomes a sci-fi horror action movie in the last third. Uh, if I didn't do it with that, I think this movie would be a lot more finely remembered and maybe looked upon. Uh, but as it is, as, as it is, is what we have. I think it's a strong movie. I, I, I think it's very well acted, especially by sort of our main two leads, which is Sam Neill and Fishburne. Uh, I think they work well off of each other, uh, especially when the shit hits the fan. I think there's a lot of fun bits. Um, yeah, I just think it's a pretty, pretty solid movie. And it's easily the director's best.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's you can tell there's been at least some influence with this movie, I'll say, given um, the one bit where um, Sam Neill has to explain about sort of like that time lapsing through the fabric of space using the magazine. And you're like, hmm, I wonder if Christopher Nolan ever saw this movie and plopped that in for Interstellar.
1: Or Taika Waititi with Thor, Love and Thunder, because Natalie Portman does the same exact thing. Right,
0: yeah. It was so, so great in that
1: movie. Oh, yeah
0: such a great film um but but yeah i I generally would agree i think like i said the first two thirds of this is pretty stellar example of like sci-fi horror filmmaking with like the atmosphere that's built up in space even just like the look of like all this is happening like in the atmosphere of neptune which is perfect because neptune has like this inherent like oh it's all storming and stuff like that so it's literally just like you're going on a dark stormy night to this planet to go into this haunted house that is like this other spaceship that's in the middle of everything. And uh you you build up like a lot of that atmosphere and you build up a lot of the interesting uh chemistry with the cast. Even with like you mentioned uh the Richard uh T. Jones's character. It's so weird how like during the those first two thirds he almost feels like he's trying to do kind of like a Denzel style charming performance. That's what he's like aiming for. And then the moment like part of the ship blows up and he gets like sprocketed into space and he has to be like, oh man, I gotta do something. Uh, why all these things always happen to me? Uh, let me dist- like completely dismantle my oxygen so I can fly over to the ship. The moment that happens, the movie takes the nosedive into like stupidity in a bummer way. And I think it still is like kind of fun for like some of the horror stuff that happens there. The flashes we see when like Fishburne is shown, all the horrible things that happen in the hell dimension. There's still fun stuff there, but it does definitely take a dive into like, oh, we have to completely like change the genre of this movie to add in the action yeah. elements
1: yeah i agree I, you know i never thought about it with the richard t jones thing but yeah you're right he's 100 like denzel cool charming slick denzel and then he becomes will smith and men in black
0: i mean not even he becomes more like a like chris rock is like a supporting actor in like lethal weapon 4 honestly
1: i was trying to be nice but yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah no he definitely does
0: Yes, uh, but but yeah um, Still, solid movie overall I would still say definitely uh, W.S. Anderson's best um, And, you know, if you haven't seen this one Check it out, it's pretty fun For what it is But, let's go ahead and go into our weekly segment The Double Redo Double Redo
1: Double Redo Double Redo Double Redo Double Double Redo! Double, 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 double,
0: double, redo! That works. So the Double Redo is a segment that we do every week uh, in which Adam and I, uh, you know, in addition to talking about the two movies related to the topic, uh, we recommend a good movie and dissuade you from watching a bad one related to the topic each. So Adam has a good and bad choice. I have a good and bad choice as well. So uh, Adam, you're going first. What is your uh, good and bad choices for this week's Double Redo about Mr. Lawrence Fishburne.
1: All right, so for my good, I'm, I'm doing a, a television series instead of a movie just because I think he's quite phenomenal in it. And the char- it's, He's playing a character that's been portrayed quite a few times, and I'd argue he's my favorite interpretation of the character. Um, I have him as Jack Cross in Hannibal. I think the Hannibal show is the best telling of that whole story. I think he fits right in with why it's so good. Uh, he's super authoritative, and yet you could tell, like, he does have a soft spot for the main character, yet at the same time, like he's not above playing dirty and using people to get sort of the job done. Uh, I think there's a lot of layers to that character that you've never really got the chance to see in any other iteration. It's some of the most disturbing television I've ever seen, and the fact that it was on a major network is crazy to me. It's just a fucking great show. If you haven't seen Hannibal, it, it's, you gotta see it. And then for my bad, I have a movie that I remember really liking when I first saw it. And it's sort of in the vein of a Hannibal Lecter type movie. I have the movie Just Cause that stars Lawrence Fishburne, Sean Connery, Blair Underwood, and Ed Harris. And Ed Harris plays sort of a Hannibal Lecter type that is sort of helping Sean Connery, who's like a lawyer, and Fishburne, who's this like southern cop and they're trying to figure out who actually murdered this girl and if they did get the right man that Blair Underwood was accused of. But he was confessed under horrible circumstances and blah, blah, blah. And really, the problem with it is, like, Fishburne is quite fun in it. Ed Harris is, okay, he's trying. I love Ed Harris, but Ed Harris is a manic serial killer. As much as you might think you want it, it might not work. It's just kind of a paint-by-the-numbers Hannibal Lecter ripoff. Pretty much 100%. It feels like they sort of might have read Red Dragon and Signs of the Lambs and sort of mixed the two. And I, of course, didn't know that when I first saw it as a kid because I didn't know all, like, all the material, but it just comes off incredibly, incredibly flat, uh, sort of in every way. Uh, like I said, Fishburne's pretty good in it, but that's about it. The rest is just kind of boring, bland, seen it 100 times, done better.
0: Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Just Cause. Um, it sounds kind of potentially interesting with, like, that cast, but then, uh, yeah, it seems like they kind of do nothing with that. As opposed to, I have seen all of Hannibal. I podcasted about Hannibal. I had a fucking, like, recap show I was doing back in the day of that show. And, uh, yeah, I think that show is tremendous. I think especially with Fishburne, like, he's one of the few people who kind of captures what Jack Crawford should be in terms of, like, these shows, which is, like, In say, like, Silence of the Lambs captures this, and I think the original Manhunter kind of does as well. Where, like, Jack Crawford's supposed to be a guy who is kind of like a father figure for, like, the main character, but at the same time is constantly, like, got something else behind his back. Where it's like, okay, you're trying to be, like, supportive, but I know it's because, like, there's some other element here that you're, like, keeping from me. It feels like because he's, like, inherently because of his uh, position, like, he's guarded in some way from like actually fully embracing somebody as like an actual protege, like he is supposed to with like uh, the Will Graham character. Um, But yeah, I think Fisherman's tremendous, especially the relationship he has with Gina Torres, who at the time was his wife, um, who plays his wife on the show is tremendous, especially like as the, we sort of get to like season three and certain things happen with her character. I think he plays a lot of that so beautifully, but uh, yeah. So for my double redo choices, I have two movies uh, one of them was actually your alternate good pick for this episode that we didn't end up do it going with. But at the same time, as I mentioned last episode, I heard so many good things about it. And you had, um, you know, really praised it Like when we were talking about it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm definitely going to catch up on this one. And uh, I completely agree with you that it's not only a good pick, but a great pick of Deep Cover.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, directed by Bill Duke. Came out in 1992. Uh, Bill Duke, yes, of Predator fame. Bill Duke uh, has a whole directing career that I was not really aware of until fairly recently. Like, oh, he directed Sister Act 2. Wow, okay, go, Bill Duke. Um, but this is a movie in which uh, given the title, uh, Fishman plays an undercover cop who goes like deep undercover into trying to stop a drug ring as ordered by his t- superior who would end up directing Airbud later on Charles Martin Smith, um, who's amazing also in this movie. Um, and uh, he goes like deep undercover and starts trying to investigate like where exactly like all these drugs are coming in from. And he finds a main connection in the form of Jeff Goldblum, who is a guy who is a lawyer by day and a drug kingpin by night, basically. Um, and the two of them strike a friendship and start kind of trying to, you know muscle out the other sort of suppliers out of the competition. And it's an incredible movie about like that is full of style. And so much, like, the way that Fishburn interacts off of Goldbloom, like, their chemistry is really fun. There's a lot of, like, bits where they, like, play off each other very well. But also, even just, like, the style of it is, like, really, like, shows off, like, oh, this is, like, a potentially alluring life as you, like, kind of rise up the ranks and become, like, so high in the drug kingpin world. But at the same time, this drug life is just as bad, if not maybe even, like, slightly less bad than the actual police element of it where like all the scenes with like Fishburne and Charles Martin Smith just have so many layers of corruption that are coming off of Smith they are so good like the the dialogue bouncing off each other like so tremendous and like Fishburne just keeps going so deep and especially like when they insinuate from the start like we see his uh, father getting horribly murdered uh, after doing a lot of drugs and trying to rob a liquor store and he's like you know what i don't want to be that i don't I have never had a drink i've never done any drugs but as he starts going down, i just realizes, it's like oh man even if i didn't do that i became a part of the police system that completely destroys people anyway like, I wanted to make a difference, but it turns out, oh, no matter where I go down, I'm gonna be an asshole, so fuck it. I'm gonna go with the way that's, like, more glamorous and start doing coke and shit. It is such a, like, weirdly tragic but still incredibly investing sort of cop drama story that I would love to cover on the show at some point in full detail. It's an amazing movie for sure, and I'd recommend everybody out there see It's on the Criterion Collection, everybody. And then for my bad pick... I have one that Fishburn isn't in a lot. And I don't even think this is like a terrible movie necessarily, but I think because of even it's misuse of Fishburn is kind of the point where this movie I'm very uneven on dips into like a movie I don't like. Like there was some early potential in it, but with Predators, you have the initial interesting setup for this third Predator movie of like, oh, all these guys like are put down on this uh, planet that feels very similar to the jungle environment of the original movie and they're all different prisoners who don't know each other and are just kind of like plopped in here and that's an interesting setup but I think as it goes along it starts like really losing me with like some of its elements of like particularly like the different characters the different castings i think adrian brody is kind of terrible in this movie quite frankly and even the stuff that with tover grace's character i feel is kind of interesting but i don't think he's that good of an actor to kind of pull it off but really the moment where the movie loses me is this big chunk where Fishburne appears in a scene i'm very convinced was originally written for like arnold schwarzenegger as dutch to reply prize his role from the first movie it was yeah, there was some, like, they have never said, like, that specifically is what it was, but they have said at certain points, like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to have a cameo in this movie, but then it didn't happen, and then the Lawrence Fishburne character happens, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder which role Arnold Schwarzenegger would have played in this movie. Uh, maybe the guy who's dealt with a bunch of predators and is, like, driven insane, and, you know, I think Fishburne's committing to it, but I just think, like, that is really the point where I start really losing out on the movie. And it, like, any of, like, the potential interesting stuff that happens after that, like, with the guy who has, like, the katana and stuff like that, it feels like just, like, more wasted potential to me than anything else. And which is, like, for the Predators franchise, there's definitely a lot more of just, like, this is a bad idea with an interesting character. As opposed to, there's a lot of interesting good ideas here that just kind of, like, I think flop apart. So it's not a terrible movie, but I think Predators is kind of, like, a disappointing entry in that franchise for me.
1: Uh, Obviously, I've seen deep cover uh i you know you said quite a bit of what i would have said i just think it's fucking great uh i i think fishburne and goldblum also work really well off each other i I just it's one i really want to talk about on the show too um it's it's just it's pretty fucking great and then predators we've kind of talked here and there about this movie before i do like it i think it's probably my third favorite in the franchise the Topher grace And the Lawrence Fisherman of it all, for me, especially those two, are kind of what has always kept me from really loving it. Um, I think it's a completely wasted Lawrence Fisherman. I think the character alone is kind of stupid. Uh, And the Topher Grace, I mean, it's so, it's telegraphed a mile away what that character is, but I think somebody with more capability could have made it more fun to where like we know, but really played with the idea that nobody else does and he just cannot pull it off uh so yeah i think it's definitely a flawed movie i mean we saw finally return to form with prey hopefully we get more of like that but yeah i I mean i agree
0: but I, i don't think i need i need to underline this element of it the uncanny valley of buff adrian brody is like upsetting as like the lead character of that movie it's just like that doesn't feel real to me <laughs> I'm just like this is so this doesn't like he's not a guy who should be buff he needs to be like real skinny thin him buff is just weird
1: <laughs> it is weird but I I thought he was fine was he great no but I thought he was fine
0: well on that note uh, let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody out there in case uh, you want to add some of them to your watch list or remove them off if you had one of the bad ones on here Adam.
1: Uh, For my good, I had the Hannibal television series from NBC. And for my bad, I had Just Cause.
0: And then for my good pick, I had Deep Cover. And for my bad pick, I had Predators. But now, uh, let's uh, start winding down the show. But stay tuned. At the very end, we'll be picking our... picks for uh, next week's episode for that so stay tuned but uh first we want to thank some people like of course we want to thank chris oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com thanks to christian thor for our artwork uh find his stuff on uh, various socials under the username night of water that's night with a k underscore of underscore water And thanks, of course, to our patrons at patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to uh, help us, uh, you know, keep the lights on, but also you get bonus podcasts. Like, for example, by the end of the month, we'll be having our March Madness on the best animated film of all time. Uh, you know, popping up there by the end of the month. And then um, you also get to vote in polls for individual movies we cover, like Osmosis Jones you all picked. that as our bad pick here in a poll. And then also you get to vote for topics we cover. And this week, this episode's coming out, uh, we'll be having our April topic poll up, uh, where you all get to pick which topic we do by the end of the month of next month, April. And uh, it's going to tie in, interestingly, to that George Foreman biopic that uh, if you've seen the trailers for, is a real movie. It feels like it's a fake
1: movie. Oh, God, it looks so dumb. It looks it so It looks bad. really bad.
0: It looks like a really bad one. But we're going to tie in, because uh, you all get to choose if we cover one of these two topics that tie in with that particular movie, either biopics, so biographical pictures about real-life people, which we've never somehow done as a topic. We've done plenty of biopics as individual movies, but never as an entire topic before. Or um, the alternate choice uh, for another actor... And one of our favorites, uh, who was in uh, the big George Foreman
1: movie, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah, I'm good with either on those. Biopics, for sure, I'm leaning towards, but I'm not, I'm not going to turn down a good Forrest Whitaker.
0: Look, we love talking about Forrest. Forrest Whitaker is one of the more fun <laughs> actors working today yeah, on this. He's like shit, dude. He's so fun. Even in that fucking trailer for big George Foreman, he's just like, oh, you know what, George, you, you're going to be the greatest one possible. And then you got the actor playing George Foreman like, okay. I know. Sure. Oh God. I'll do yep. that. Yep. <laughs> Uh, oh, so, bad. so you all get to pick that poll. Will come up uh, the Wednesday after this comes out and you'll all get to, uh, you know, vote in that poll. If you're a patron for just that $1. And uh, for more of us, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at DEDB pod. And you can also submit feedback to us either on those channels or on our email, double edgedevilbill at gmail.com. All spelled out. And for more of me, uh, find me specifically on Twitter and letterboxes at not the who's Tommy. And also, I do some writing at MarianiThomas.WordPress.com and at Film-Cred.com.
1: And I'm on, uh, I'm on the internet in some places. You can find me, or don't. It doesn't matter.
0: If you can, if you can search for him, if you can yeah. find him.
1: I think everything I got is set to private. So good luck.
0: Even Letterbox? I don't know if you can private Letterbox.
1: No, but nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, uh, if you do care to listen to us further, please, uh, you know, follow and subscribe to us on places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're listening on the Talk Film Society uh, podcast network, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? And also you can dig into our archives on our Podbean Main feed for like nearly 200 episodes before we even joined TFS. And everything else, if uh, you can't support us on the Patreon for the $1, that's cool. We totally get it. Money can be tight for some people. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because it gets us more visibility out there in the deep, vast emptiness
1: of space. And the deep, vast emptiness of Twitter, which is scarier than Event Horizon. Oh.
0: That's true, yeah. I would rather be sucked into the vacuum of space than the vacuum of Twitter
1: <laughs> yeah, certain too, 100%. days. yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> just bleed from my eyes. Like, at least I can't look at more Elon tweets.
1: Yep. Or random film discoursing And then, hey, wow, porn, what the fuck? I don't know, that
0: part's kind of fun, depending on the source.
1: It's kind of fun. It's interesting.
0: Well, now, Adam, it's time we did our picking for next week's episode, yes? Uh, at the end of every episode, Adam and I pick... A good and a bad pick uh, based on uh, one of us has two good picks one of us has two bad picks and we assign numbers between one and ten for each of those and the other person uh, picks number between one and ten and whatever that number is closest to gets us our good and our bad features so for example uh adam will be having uh the bad picks for this i could say i'm gonna pick number say eight and he'll be like okay i'm gonna that's closest to number nine which is this particular choice and thus that like, gets us our bad picks, same thing with the good picks. And keep in mind, Adam has the Godfather rule still in effect, where he has a veto that he got last May, and he has to use that by this coming May for our uh, anniversary episode. It's a use it or lose it kind of thing, where if he hears one of my good choices, he could potentially say, like, you know what, I don't want to cover that movie, and say, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Unless that choice is gone, and we have to go with every other choice is available, and uh, this episode for next week was chosen by our patrons, once again, patreon.com slash pod, where uh, we're that covering, you know, past years in film, and uh, we noticed we hadn't done any from, like, the 2010s that weren't, like, from when we were doing the show starting in 2018, so, uh, you know, we asked you between the years 2015 and then the ultimate winner of uh, 2012, so films from the year 2012 is our discussion point, point. Should be interesting, especially since I noticed uh, when, when we were putting this poll together, we've only covered about five movies from that year in the entire history of our show.
1: And there's a lot of them.
0: There are a lot? It's very true. And like I said, I have the good picks, you have the bad picks, Adam. So for my two good picks, please pick a number between one and
1: ten. Oh, man. Uh, all right. I will go with number two.
0: Okay. At number three, I have a movie that I'm kind of cheating here in terms of uh, this I came out in the s- stock. Well, hold on. Hold on. Dude. It came out in most territories, including the native country of this particular filmmaker in 2012. Didn't come out in the States until 2013. Um. But I'm going with it, if nothing else, because it's one of my favorite movies of that decade and it's from a source who uh, recently just won an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. I have Sarah Pauly's Stories We Tell.
1: Oh, Jesus. Uh, I I can honestly say I don't know if I've seen it. Uh, So I will not take the cannoli just because if I typically, if I haven't seen something, I try to stick with it. Uh, So yeah, let's go for it. So you know what? Yeah, let's go for it.
0: Well, on the other side of things, uh, at... Number nine, I had um, a movie that I think is very underrated, especially in terms of, like, sort of horror sequels. It's one of my favorites, especially for a movie that uh, the original I wasn't a huge fan of, but I think the sequel is a huge improvement. And one of the better examples of sort of, like, that kind of torture-porny era, I have The Collection.
1: Oh, I like The Collection quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't like Uh Yeah, I'm good, though. I, I like going with the one I haven't seen, but, yeah, I like The Collection quite a bit. I hope we eventually get the third one. I think it filmed, I don't know, but
0: No, they, there was a whole thing where they started filming, then COVID happens, and then apparently like the producers stopped talking to the filmmakers. <laughs> so apparently okay. yeah, That's literally <laughs> what happened. So I don't think we're getting that third one anytime soon.
1: <laughs> it doesn't sound like it.
0: No. But Adam, for your two bad picks, um hmm. You know, I'm going to pick one.
1: All right. At number 1, I have a movie I have never seen because it looks so fucking stupid but it's got a lot of big actors in it directed by James Mattegue a John Cusack starring Edgar Allan Poe detective movie the Raven
0: oh I have not seen the Raven but I heard disastrous things about that okay <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I gotta do it
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> So it's interesting you haven't seen the we haven't you haven't seen either of the pics I haven't seen, no, this I haven't bad
1: seen pick. either no. At number 10, I had one of the most infamous bombs of all time, but one that I don't really hate that much, I had John Carter.
0: Yeah, I think John Carter's all right. I would never say it's like a bad movie necessarily. I think it just got an unfortunate rap because, hey, we're going to adapt this 100-year-old story that influenced all the other things that have been made since then. And everyone was like, oh, this kind of looks like Star Wars.
1: And we're also not going to call it by its full title.
0: Right, not call it by its full title. Release it in March kind of just to... uh, do every disservice possible
1: and get a and get a walking sheet of drywall for the lead.
0: <sighs> to poor Taylor Kitsch, the the, the yeah. tragedy of the Taylor Kitsch career is uh-huh. fascinating, truly uh-huh. like a, a Greek tragedy for our modern time. The career of Taylor Kitsch. Uh, but, all right, so stories we tell and the Raven should nope. be a lot of fun <laughs> next time. But until then, everybody, uh, you know, just uh, make sure you know you don't go in spooky houses and you don't board spooky spaceships. I keep telling people this all the time. Don't do it.
1: For the love of God, stay away from Bill Murray. For several reasons.
0: The true horror. Don't enter that vessel either. Yeah, good God.